Good evening, everyone. Uh, welcome to Inkeyes. This is Laurel Hightower, and I am joined this evening by Shane Douglas Keene and Rich Duncan. Uh, tonight we are flying solo, um, and so bear with us. It's probably going to be interesting. Uh, possibly ugly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Although maybe maybe we'll get the surprise guest or something. Who knows? I was thinking one of these days we need to start this show so lit that we're we're hardly coherent instead of finishing it that way. Uh, we have done you know, that a few like, times. Didn't we do that <laughs> like, last night? Hello, everybody. This is Shane fucking Keen. <laughs> yeah. If you want to restart and MC it, man, I think that sounds good. <laughs> that would be kind of interesting, like the drunk episode, yeah. which we have had those, the good night one. And then uh, there's one episode, and we'll see if people can figure out which one it was. I think it took Shane and I a good 45 minutes before we, we got a solid intro in. <laughs> I can't imagine how that could happen to anyone. Uh, no. <laughs> Your, yours are always perfect, though, Laurel. Yeah, Shame so Rock professional. <laughs> Shame Rock Silver. I'm still really sorry, Ken, about that. Shamrock Silver. I forgot that. I forgot yeah. that was a real thing and not just a great dream I had. Yeah. The great thing about it was that you were so, like, you were so confident in it. Like, it wasn't even like it wasn't even like a blooper. You were just, like, you were just like, yeah, we're joined by Ken from a uh, Shamrock Shul- Silver. I'm gonna say Silver. Silver. <laughs> I was hoping he would just accept it as his new name. You know, if I sounded confident enough, maybe he would assume that was what it really was. (laughs) Go on Twitter and he's changed it. (laughs) Like I said, though, he's the one who put his put that Twitter handle in there. So, yeah, either him or that other Kenneth. (laughs) (laughs) So, oh, well, I was actually going to sort of intro it in order to force you all to talk. so Okay, well, we were talking, so what should we do? Um, let's go back to what you were talking about when we came in, Rich. Okay, so when we were talking kind of about... Uh, I don't know how I'm going to make a good intro to that, but we were kind of discussing, I think, like, pretty much, you know, writers and, like, how, especially, like, people in the reviewer community that are also writers, like, how that how, you know, running a review site might help them as far as their writing. Yeah, and actually, um, just to give a little bit of a shout-out, we say her name differently, and she's probably right, but um, Lil and George over at Sci-Fi and Scary, we started out because Laurel was telling us that she's a fantastic fucking writer. So when you see something out there by her, keep that in mind. But that's what we started with, yes. Yes, and and she'll probably kill me for that, you know, because she's... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but I'm sorry, Lillian, it's true. You're, you're a fucking amazing writer. So <laughs> so there. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's one it is one of the things that that has been cool to kind of observe again, sort of coming in as an outsider on it is, um, you know, watching the reviewers who are who are seeking that out and who are writing in, you know, the path that they're taking with it. And I I, I just love seeing that. I love seeing that. I do, too. And it's interesting because it's kind of like every path is a different one. You know what I mean? Yeah. 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 And and I think it has an effect on um, 
I guess just the trajectory of, of, uh, of where people start and, and where they, you know, how they submit. But, but I think also, you know, starting out, um, reviewing gives you a lot of contacts in the community and it really gives you a big leg up when you do start to look to publish your own stuff. Um, it does huge because it's like I've had this endless resource of people like yourself and, uh, Cena Paleo and, uh, Stephanie Whitevich and or Whitevich, whichever it is, um, and if I did not have those connections, I'd just be fucking lost, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Like, you know, you make these connections, and like, you know, if I hadn't been like the stuff I've submitted to or whatever, you know, had I not been involved in kind of the horror fiction community i wouldn't have probably even known those outlets were available yeah it's interesting too about those paths you mentioned too laurel is that you it's kind of like at least my experience was i wound up on a totally different path than the one that i was actually aiming for when i set out on the walk you know yeah but i i think it's i don't i don't know i i well, how, how would you describe it differently? What do you think has changed for that? Um, the destination that I have in mind has changed pretty drastically. And is that because of what you've observed or just what you found out that you like writing? Because of for a lot of it is because of what I've observed and what I've read and learned from um, those better than me over the time that I've been um, reviewing. Um, a lot of it is just a discovery of, of what my real passion actually is, you know, or a rediscovery, I should say, because it's kind of a full circle back to what I was doing the very first time I picked up a pen and a notebook, you know, which was songwriting. Is that right? Yeah. Songwriting and poetry. Excellent. Uh, Yeah. So it's kind of, yeah, just full circle. And I'm. I didn't believe that I would be comfortable saying that about myself, but I feel pretty comfortable about that. Well, yeah, I mean, (laughs) you should, because it's, it is, it's really excellent. And I've loved getting to see, you know, your poetry put on a carpenter's farm. Um, And I love that that's something that's come out of it. Um, And then Rich, you know, you were saying before we started recording too, about that this, it had only been recently that you started picking up and writing again. So yeah, I'm I'm kind of interested into you know what sparked that or or what the thought process was there. You know, it it's kind of interesting you mention that because I was going to say, you know, how we start this podcast when we ask people about like the new kids on the, you know, schoolyard speech or you know how they got into writing. You know, on the surface they're kind of like clichéd questions. But that was always like my favorite part of doing this show is just kind of hearing how everybody got started, what drove them into it. And, you know, a lot of the episodes, listening to people's journeys like that and, you know, just seeing people's own journeys and like how they talked about writing. Like I've always loved it, but I was always kind of crippled by, you know, self-doubt and fear. And I was like, you know, that why even do it? Because it's probably going to be garbage. Where and the you know, fuck? Oh, sorry, uh, I forgot. Nothing. 
<laughs> I, I thought my mic was muted. <laughs> no problems, man. But yeah, I always, I always thought, I always thought it would be garbage. So like, why even bother? But you know, doing this show and hearing people talk about it, and you know, there's been so many writers that are like, you know, you can you can have permission to suck, you know, the important thing is just doing it. And, you know, I was like, why not just give it a shot and write it and put it out there. And like, I think the easier thing is cause like, I was like a lot of these writers where I started really young as like a kid, I think. And that's like an important thing. Like if my daughter ever had an interest in it and made up stories, I would encourage her as much as possible because when I was doing it, you know, I didn't have any of those thoughts of, you know, is this going to be good? What are people going to think when they read it? Like at that age, you're just excited about something and you just want to put it down. You're not thinking about, you know, what are readers going to think about this? Or, you know, is this a good idea? You just do it because you like it and have fun. And I, I tried to just tap back into that sort of thing where I don't really think about you know, oh, is this story going to get rejected or can I place it somewhere? I'm trying to just tap back into that. You know, I like doing this, so I'm just going to do it. If it's terrible, oh, well, at least I enjoyed doing it and I liked it. I love that. I, I love that. Tapping back into how you feel about it as a kid without any, you know, without caring about how anybody's going to feel about it. That's awesome. And that's kind of, in a way, kind of articulated what I didn't say very well about coming full circle to my passion because I think you know that's a big part of it um, yeah. we're not even really talking too much about how much reviewing has affected this stuff anymore so much about Rich's childhood again yeah you know I, I realize that it does sound kind of cheesy but like uh -oh. at the same time I, I think like when people are writing and, you know, I guess there's nothing really wrong with, you know, wanting it to get published. But I think that's where a lot of that self-doubt and stuff comes in that, you know, can hinder some people who are just, you know, starting out is, you know, you're worried about that rejection and, you know, how other people feel yeah. about it. Yeah. Um, and yeah. And again, too, is like if you're not discouraged when you're younger, that's another thing with you two as parents. Um if you're not discouraged when you're younger, you're more likely to embrace your dreams a lot earlier in life than you are, you know, like my upbringing was a writing as a fucking waste of time, go do something real, and thus IT. Um, you know, so that's not a, that's just not really a good way. I don't think, I didn't with my children because I learned with myself that, um, you're not doing your children any favors by trying to shape them that way. They have to shape themselves. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, and the, to me, the biggest thing that I've wanted to build in my son is confidence. Um, Cause I feel like, you know, and, and I grew up in a writing household. I knew that that was a, a viable career. Um, and, but I, I was a, just a really not a very confident child at all. Um, you know, for, whatever reason. And so for me, like building my son's confidence so that whatever he decides to do, you know, I, I want him to be able to tackle it and just feel like, yeah, I have every right to be here and I want to be here, you know, and I'm doing what I love to do. Yeah. And that's really, really good philosophy. I think. 
Well, you should see yeah. that boy swagger. He's got some. We <laughs> <laughs> feel successful yeah. so far. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, so, yeah. When, oh, go ahead, Shane. Sorry, I was just going to say um, Moana is excessively patient with him. <laughs> she really is. You know, she's a special girl. <laughs> you know, um, and Laurel, your your uh, path's kind of a little bit different because you are like we talked about last night on the other show. We were on the Deadhead Reviews oh. podcast. You know, you have stuff, you know, that's been published and is out there. And I, I'm curious, you know, what was it like for you growing up? Because you said you grew up in a writing household. So is that do you think that that kind of like shaped you or inspired you to like try and go that route and do writing? I, do writing. Do, write, do writing. <laughs> I speak good. <laughs> I'd just and, like to report for Tim Meyer's sake that Rich is currently drinking IPAs in his closet. I just yeah. want him, I want Tim to know that. But he's not he's not currently doing writing. Um, yeah. And where he speaks where he speaks good, I speak very bad because I had really or I think very bad because I had very bad thoughts about that statement. <laughs> Welcome to Inkeist Half Lit. <laughs> well, it, 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 that and it's like a hundred degrees in this closet, so I think it's like frying my brain. These, you know, these conversations about your closet feel like they should be a fucking Berkeley breathed um, <laughs> cartoon or something. <laughs> a what cartoon? <laughs> you know, the Far Side. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I wait, I wanna I wanna go back and verify. <laughs> Have you read the Far Side comics, Rich? I've seen them. I not read the, too not many. the Far Side. That's not the one I'm thinking of anyway. <laughs> okay, well then we're we're really on track. <laughs> yeah, so you guys aren't you loving this show? We're all so knowledgeable. <laughs> we're very we're very on target tonight. All of us. <laughs> You do that better than I do. <laughs> Bloom County is the one. Berkeley Brief. Oh, Bloom County. Okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and every time Rich talks about his closet, I think about the penguin in there, you know, his <laughs> little desk cracking cans of fucking near beer and <laughs> writing, writing love letters to build a cat. <laughs> Sorry, I tend to devolve conversations quickly. I apologize. Not. It's, yeah. a, it's okay. <laughs> so, yeah, Laurel, uh, oh, <laughs> growing up in a writing household, <laughs> how, how, how has that helped shape you as a writer? Um, I, I feel like in a couple ways. One is that, honestly, like in watching, I, I don't have the stamina for like a writer's like, uh, you know, uh, whether you're going to get paid this year or, you know, uh, how things are, it, it was always too much uncertainty for me. Um, so I, I was always going to do something more down the line, but, um, but in some ways it's kind of like, 
it's like growing up with like a like a soccer star for a parent or something. Whether you want to or not, you're going to be practicing all the time. So I kind of think that's that's the main thing. And I mean, again, yeah, being able to see like, hey, this is because my mom like that's that's what she's done her pretty much her entire adult life is she supported herself through writing. So it's one of those things to look at and be like, yeah, it can totally be done. So in some ways, I guess that's, you know, I'm not even sure if that's a particularly coherent answer. <laughs> no, it is. Oh, it is. Yeah, it is. It really yeah, I was is. Just, go ahead. Go ahead, Rich. No, I was going to say it, it is. I was just kind of curious, you know, if, you know, like you said, you saw that your mom could do that. Is that kind of what, got you interested in trying it yourself was just kind of, you know, being around it. Did your mom like, you know, try and, you know, help you with your writing early on or. It was more, and this is going <laughs> to, this is going to sound like more, more of a complaint than I mean it to be. Like, I'm, I am, this is not hyperbole when I say that she used to mark up my kindergarten papers with red pen, like all to hell and back. So, I mean, I was, I was never able to just turn in something that, you know, you're five, your teacher's probably going to give you an A on it. It's okay. Mom was like, no, do it over. And you know, so it's like on the one hand, it was kind of like, are you serious? Just whatever. But on the other hand, I remember being in high school and um, with some I was taking some advanced English class um, and we all got our papers back. And, and uh, you know, the teacher's just slamming us and she's like, everybody got an apprentice or, you know, I don't whatever the lowest level, like basic or whatever rating is. I, I'm so disappointed. You all suck. And I was like, what's this P on my paper? So, oh, except for Laurel, she got proficient. And so, of course, the network <laughs> fucking hates me in the next five minutes. And, uh, but Dude, <laughs> I had an English teacher do that to me one time, and I got my ass kicked for a week after that. Well, the, the main thing was that then, like, she made me, like, read it to the class, and they spent the next half hour trying to pick it apart, which then prepared me for writing workshops. So, you know, honestly, I think in some ways you kind of – yeah, you know, you learn something from it. So it's one of those things, and I'm very long-windedly saying, I can see definitely where I benefited from it. Yeah. Um, but I did not, I, I never considered getting anything published for the longest time. I started writing when I was in college because I was overwhelmed, and I was uh, I was working full-time and going to school full-time, and I needed something for me. So. I, yeah, yeah. And I'm glad you did. I think everybody's yeah. glad you did. Um, I also I also think that if I had had your experience growing up, I'd probably be a serial killer. (laughs) (laughs) I wonder what I wonder what your like name would be. My serial killer name? Yeah, probably Bone Daddy. (laughs) (laughs) Don't go any further with that, motherfucker. (laughs) No, I'm not. I'm just stunned. I. I don't even know what to say or how to follow that up at all. Don't. <laughs> don't worry, I'm not going to. Rich, what would your serial killer name be? I, <laughs> your, yes. I have no idea. Um, something I don't know. Something I'm not. I'm not good with titles. So, uh, like most of the, you know, like when we've talked about how we named the website that took Shane and I probably like two months 
Um, <laughs> but it probably have to do with something with being socially awkward. So uh, yeah, and I and I actually put myself through fucking graphics design school over the course of that time. <laughs> While you guys were deciding, I, because I fucking prototy- I yeah. prototyped about seven thousand different logos as we were making up our name and stuff, and and then when we settled, I think we went through another fifty, you know, on yeah. the logo on the logo yeah. designs. So. Which which Shane did a great job. Like I don't think I would ever really want to change it. Like he's mentioned wanting to change it. But I like it. But he's like, I forget what he said, but it was something like when he was designing it, like he had to do some stuff with it. And he's like, do not touch any part of like this part of the site or that part of the site, because he's like, I don't. Yeah, it'll get all fucked up. And like he kind of like had to like cobble it together. So I don't think we'd even be able to fix it if somebody fucked it up. Yeah, to get that, I I could fix it. I know how. It's just a it's just a hack and like other web developers would be ashamed of me if I said that I had a glass brick in there, but I totally do. Um and what that means is that there I used a one pixel by one pixel transparent gif to position our logo because it wouldn't go into the fucking middle. <laughs> well hey whatever gets the job done but That's, yeah old school trick i can't i can't remember did we ever announce like what this site was going to be called before we came up with Inkies? no we we didn't announce it what it was going to be called until we actually knew what it was going to be called Oh, yeah, I, I couldn't remember if we, well, no, I couldn't remember if we shared, like, what its original title was, because we had settled on a name for a couple weeks, and then the more we thought about it, we were like, no, and I couldn't remember yeah. if we only told Laurel or if we told everybody. Yeah, I don't, I don't remember. I don't even, I don't know that we told Laurel. No, we did, because she laughed. Uh, I, <laughs> see, I don't. I have not, I, my memory sucks that way about most things. Every now and then, I have very specific memories that far back, but for the most part, <laughs> I, I have no idea what we called it. Okay, so for people who might be wondering, just in case it was only Laurel originally, it was just called Grit Ink. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. that's right. Yeah. <laughs> no, I like Ink Heist better, and I am. Yeah. I'm, I'm not going to admit how long that I thought that that was a tattoo reference until i was like ink <laughs> as in writing as in books okay right so <laughs> actually <Yeah>. made more <laughs> sense but but either way i like it yeah because the thing that's kind of how we came up with like grit ink like we had a whole slew of titles but we were like we want the site to be a mashup of crime and horror so we were like trying to like cobble together like okay the name's gonna be like two words and we would try and take like a quote-unquote horror word and mash it up with like a crime word and nothing was really sticking so then we're like well let's just narrow it down to like you know something that describes like dark fiction and writing so what I'm getting out of this is that we don't have to worry about Rich being a serial killer because he'll spend all of his time trying to think what his serial killer name should be. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you got to be decisive, Rich. <laughs> yeah, I, I have no idea what it would be. What about what would Laurels be? Uh, Tread yes. carefully, Shane. 
<laughs> it's instead of BFK, it's the RBF killer. Yeah, the, the RBF butcher. I like that. <laughs> there you go. There we go. I'm the RBF butcher. <laughs> I wonder if I should put that in the show notes when I describe the topics. We discuss our serial killer name. <laughs> But we, but we failed to discuss our body counts. Because <laughs> you never say that stuff on the air. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, not, not if you mean it. <laughs> <laughs> Man, that that devolved pretty quickly. Yep, yep. But at least you know, Rich is just Rich is still in the closet. He's not a serial killer yet. <laughs> yeah. We're safe from Rich. <laughs> he's he's a closet serial killer. <laughs> there you go. That could be my name. <laughs> the closet serial. Killer. <laughs> he's not he's not very threatening, but he <laughs> he claims to be a killer. <laughs> he, but he's never come out of the closet to actually fucking kill anybody. <laughs> it's because he has plenty of beer in there, so yeah, but leave. Yeah, but if I had plenty of IP and the A in there, I'd still turn into a killer. Yeah, if that was all there was, then I'd turn into an IPA drinker first. Well, yeah, that, that That's kind of what happened. <laughs> <laughs> so how has your love of IPA shaped your writing tonight, Rich? Yeah. Like I told Shane, I was like, eh, you know, I don't usually drink these, but, you know, they have a nice alcohol content and, hey, it, it's better than nothing. So <laughs> I was trying to segue it back into writing. <laughs> well, I like, you know, <laughs> well, because I, I wasn't sure, like, what you wanted to discuss about writing. You asked about the IPA is kind of I was asking how it, how it shaped your how it shaped your writing <laughs> as of this evening. How yeah, you need to. You need to ask, <laughs> ask about straight up hard liquor, and then we can segue into Hemingway. There you, know, you go. Or or John F. D. Taft, for that matter. Sorry, John. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> John the two drink Taft. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but now, to, if you want to segue back into writing, like. Um, you know, what was was whispers like the first thing you tried to sub, Laurel? I think we might ask you this when we first had you on, but oh, uh, yeah, that was because the the first one was the uh, utter dumpster fire of a book that will never be. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, whispers was the first thing first thing that I subbed. Yeah. Well, that, that's interesting. Not that it was a dumpster fire, but <laughs> I've heard <laughs> I've heard other writers mention, you know, that they had those books that they've tried writing when they were either first starting out or even later in their careers where they just don't work out at all. Um, but they cannibalize from it like they might like a certain line from it. So they'll lift that line and, you know, put it in something else they're working on or they'll take like a concept or something like that. Is that anything that you would like consider with that work or did you just write it off as a dumpster fire? Fuck no. I feel, <laughs> I feel like if. If it infected anything, it'd be like a goddamn zombie virus, like whatever, <laughs> whatever. It, it's it's asleep. It's no one's going to wake it up. It's yeah, dead. I understand <laughs> that. That's, that's what happened to those poems the other night was it's like, nope, 
this is no, I'm never putting any of this shit in any fucking thing. So <laughs> burn some sage over it. Exactly. <laughs> now, yeah. have, have, you grown, <laughs> <laughs> have you gone back and looked at it recently or like pretty much once you wrote it? You were you like maybe let it sit and then we're like, yeah, this is a dumpster fire and just never to be seen again. I mean, I'm sure like uh, it took me a while to mess around with that one, too. But once I once I started writing Whispers in the Dark and kind of really realized how shitty the other one was. <laughs> no, I don't go back and look at it because that just sounds painful. It's like it's like looking at awkward pictures of myself in middle school. I don't want to do that. Yeah. Well, <laughs> when you wrote Whispers in the Dark, did it feel kind of like an epiphany to you compared to the first one? Uh, in some ways, but. And, and okay, this is going to be where I get up on my soapbox about planning again. And again, <laughs> I, <laughs> this is your time to shine, Laura. <laughs> this is my time to stumble because I just realized how much of that bourbon glass. Uh, here's the thing, too, people, is that when a, when a Kentuckian says they're going to get up on a fucking soapbox, you need to put your head down. <laughs> I'm going to try and hobble up on myself. <laughs> <laughs> um, and again, with the caveat that definitely certain people that I've spoken to, I mean, if, if planning does not work and if pantsing does go for it, do you, but if you're new to this, the reason that I'm so big on planning and outlining is because again, the first one I wrote dumpster fire in large part because of no plan and whispers in the dark, I probably did not start planning until about halfway through. Hence why it took me nine years to write. Um, and there were a lot of rewrites, a lot of plot lines that just got totally obliterated. So it felt good when I started writing it. I felt a good connection to the characters. Um, but it was just one of those things. It's like it took me a long time to really bring it around to where it needed to be. So mm-hmm. that's kind of a depressing answer, I guess. Oh, no, not really. <laughs> no. Not really. It, no. Just, it was different for me, like with the stuff that I when I finally had the courage to actually ask Josh if I could write that stuff for him it was because I did kind of have an epiphany and it was kind of a I mean just this hardcore slap in the forehead where I was reading back through some of my older poetry and I went yeah what's fucking wrong with this is there's not enough of the kind of brutal honesty that I tend to embrace in my daily life you know it's like I'm not I'm not being truthful enough and I've discovered like in a in a flash of a second that if you're going to be a writer you also have to be someone who's got the balls to tell the truth you know and that was that was the epiphany for me not not that my writing got exponentially better although it did honestly I think um yeah but it uh just that realization made a big big difference in how I approach it is that what made you approach uh, Josh about that? Is the that, that I know? Go ahead. <laughs> well, I, I wrote a couple of I wrote a couple of poems that were far better than anything I had ever written before. Um, and you guys, I actually submitted them. You guys both read them, um, and I got comments from people who I greatly admire and greatly respect and it just gave me the courage to that when I saw Josh do that I went and was talking to Rich about it he says I said I think I might message him and ask if I can do this 
And then I thought, yeah, he probably would be interested in Rich. He's like, no, fuck you, go do it. So he, played, <laughs> he pulled, pulled a tap on me. <laughs> yeah. that, when I was stepping all over Shane, I was going to say, yeah, it was that epiphany in me telling him that he should definitely fucking do it. <laughs> no, that's because correct. I had. Go yeah, ahead. Go ahead. Oh, no, I was just going to say, um, even before, you know, when it was just Shane and I, like he had, he would always send me, you know, poetry that he was working on. And, I've made no secret that I am like an absolute novice. Like if you ask me about, you know, like the form structure of poetry, I, I have no fucking idea, but for, I would read his stuff and, you know, I would enjoy it and it would have an impact on me. So if he was able to reach someone like me, who not that I'm not interested in poetry, but just that I don't really know jack shit about it. If he could reach me, like, I always thought that his stuff was really good. So when he said that he was thinking about doing it, that's why I kind of pushed him to do it. Because if he could reach someone like me with it, then, you know, I thought his stuff was great. So I just wanted to see him take that jump and put his stuff out there for other people to read. This is getting really uncomfortable now. So let's just... <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry, We're talking about Shane. <laughs> Well, no, see, I'm kind of she... glad to know the. No, go ahead. Sorry. No, you're good. I was just gonna say I'm, I'm glad to know kind of where the backstory on that because like I I, you know, I knew when it happened and everything, but I hadn't heard you phrase it quite in that way, Shane. That it was like a, like an epiphany of when you you know just sort of felt like it was a, I guess a a change that you made or a, a corner that you turned in your writing that you you know felt really connected with it. Yeah. Um. So that's. Um, go ahead. No, that's I was just going to say it's just interesting. And I, I was kind of I'm interested in observing this whole process, too, because I, I just think poetry is so different from a lot of other writing structures. So I'm just I'm interested in how that coalesces, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And it's and I'm very, very appreciative of all the help that you guys have given me with that. And I'm glad you've been a part of that process. Um, you you both make me better. So, um you know, but it it is uh, I'm much more in tune with it now than I was. It's like all, if it wasn't for the fact that I want to always remember that that happened, I would get rid of all that old poetry I showed Rich before I fucking hate that stuff. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think that's an interesting point about remember wanting to remember that that happened, though, to yeah, um, yeah to kind of keep that in your head as far as the change that you made there. Yeah. Cause I'm terrified that I'll backpedal to being fucking lame again, you know, <laughs> cause I, <laughs> I, I, I fight with being lame every day as it is now. <laughs> <laughs> There's been a lot of words uh, to describe you, Shane, but I don't think lame is one. <laughs> I don't, I don't think so either. And I, I don't know. I also think it, I kind of didn't really think about it until listening to what you were talking about, you know, with really connecting to it. But that's I don't think I felt that way with whispers. But I think the more that I've been writing and kind of the more, too, that I read people, as you said, who really know what they're doing. I think that it's something that I feel more connected to all the time, I guess, just been more confident to it and, and have access to, I don't know, better ideas um, or, or better ways to articulate them. 
See, that's a, actually a very, very good way to put it, access to better ideas, because that's also a part of, uh, that, that was a part of that change with me, too, is that suddenly I feel like the things that I write about are more important, more meaningful, and like you said, just better ideas. Yeah. So, did I lose you, Laurel? Laurel's going no. to keep fucking interrupting me, so. <laughs> no, I was I was waiting to see if there was more because I didn't want to walk over you on it. Uh, Patrick's gonna get, Patrick's gonna listen to this and go. Those motherfuckers didn't interrupt each other once on my show. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, Rich, what's um what's been your experience with it since you started back writing? As far as uh, how connected you to it or. Uh, I just, I do it whenever I can. Like, um, you know, there's always parts of me that are like, I'm not doing enough of the writing, you know, like, oh, people post like word counts and stuff like that. I try not to get hung up on that too much because if I did, I'd be, in, <laughs> I'd be embarrassed, honestly. But I think like the important thing is just doing whatever you can like i think i've seen a couple writers and like i wish i could give like examples but we've get we've gotten so much great advice through doing the show or just people tweeting where they're like you know even if you only get like a sentence you know at least you did something that day and that's kind of the way i try and look at it and um you know i the way that i approach everything i think i mentioned this earlier and it's funny because I was listening to uh, Michael David Wilson when he was being interviewed on This Is Horror by Dan Howarth and Bob. You know, he said when his writing started to change, it was when he wrote the stories for himself. Kind of something that he would enjoy, because if he enjoyed it, then, you know, maybe other people who've read it would enjoy it. And that's just kind of the way I try and approach it, too, is... Like I write something that, you know, I find interesting and, you know, maybe it'll need like technical work through edits or whatever, but at least like the core, that's the way I approach it is, you know, am I excited about this idea? Because if I'm not, then nobody else is going to be excited by it either. I think yeah. that's true. Yeah. And that's always, I think we've all probably repeated it a lot of times, but it bears repeating, and that is, you know, um, write the story that you want to read. Yeah. Uh, um, because if you don't want to read it, why the fuck is anybody else going to want it? <laughs> yeah, and that's pretty much what he had said, and it resonated with me because, like, that's how I approached it when I first did it, which when I first got back into it, it was for, I, it was for national... Uh, novel writing month because I always screw up the abbreviations and especially since I had a couple beers I wouldn't even know the <laughs> abbreviation but that, that's kind of what that's kind of what got me back into it is everybody was doing it and I was like well I work insane hours or whatever I don't know that I could dedicate myself to a whole novel but you know let me just try a short story I'll take this period write a short story and that's kind of how i started yeah. doing it, getting back into it anyway but it's kind of like yeah like what we were saying about the um you know uh basically phoning it in versus writing what you want to read yeah. um you can tell the difference between a novel that's been written because the author wanted this story to happen and a novel 
by the same author that was just phoned in because he had to f- fulfill a contract. You know, I mean, you can take yeah. go back to like you know, look at Clive Barker early works. Pretty much everything he's ever done, fucking brilliant. Scarlet Gospel, nope. Yeah, yeah, Mister B. Mister B was terrible. Yeah, it's like he did not give a shit about those books when he wrote them. I don't think. (laughs) Yeah, or he had someone else write them. (laughs) Sorry, Clive. (laughs) That's the rumor. Yeah, we're gonna be hearing from his lawyers next week. Right. (laughs) I am confident that I can have an opinion. Yeah, but no, it's funny you mention that because it is true because you see that like in all kinds of, you know, artistic mediums, like bands, like yep. you'll go, we'll throw out these unfinished demos and call it like, you know, uh, call it St. Angel or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, Lars is going to have a meltdown on your ass. <laughs> but yeah, that, you know, uh, yeah, or, you know, films like there was a Hellraiser film a couple years ago where it was pretty much the same story as the first one, but even worse. Like, the, I love the first one, but it was like a cheap carbon copy of the first one. And the rumor was, is, you know, that film was made because they had to make a film to keep the rights. Mm. Yeah. I, I I know you'll probably have never read this author because she primarily wrote Regency romances. Um, but she, her name was Georgette Heyer. I absolutely love her. And she just created some of the best characters I've read in any books ever. She also wrote detective stories. Um, but her, what she, her lifelong project that she wanted to write was about the Battle of Waterloo. She wanted to write about Duke, the Duke of Wellington. And she had to, her husband kept getting in debt. So she had to keep going back and writing these mystery novels. And there's one that I just died laughing at the end of because it was something she was clearly under contract with and did not want to do. And at the end, it's it doesn't really get resolved. And the last line of it is, well, that was a very unsatisfactory mystery. And I'm just <laughs> like, damn, girl. She just was like, and publishers, eat it. Yeah. <laughs> Here, here's your fucking contract fulfilled, bitches. <laughs> <laughs> mic drop yeah basically like 1927 mic drop whatever that consisted of <laughs> I, have, I haven't actually read her but my mom did she loved her so you know my mom I don't know if my mom had good taste because she also loved all the fucking Harlequin romances too <laughs> <laughs> well it's she uh, so I'm going to blame Georgette Heyer for my att- occasional tendency to overwrite things um, and for squeak beef, that is that is why. <laughs> <beef>. <laughs> no. uh, we do love our squeak beef. <laughs> you all should have seen me though, like trying to write shit, like in middle school. I'd be writing a paper yeah. and I'd do something like worsted, and they'd like scratch it out. I'd be like, listen, bitch. George and Hyder used it. Yeah, and it's like, nope, that does not actually make it appropriate grammar. <laughs> I'll never forget the first time Laurel mentioned that squeak beef. I was like, what the f- what the fuck is she talking about? <laughs> I knew exactly what she was talking about. I just hadn't heard it in fucking decades. Yeah. <laughs> But uh, I don't like to talk about what squeak beef actually means, because it's a lot more fun to make people wonder about that shit. 
<laughs> Look it up, guys. Uh, we 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 embrace our squeak beefs. <laughs> <laughs> we own those motherfuckers. <laughs> Would anyone like to explain what the fuck a squeak beef is so I don't get shot? <laughs> You're asking the wrong person. Squeak beef is is when you snitch on someone. Yeah. So don't don't. I was trying to come up with something like you know snitches get stitches, and I'm like squeak beef's good. <laughs> I, I, I got. I can I can think of something that rhymes with that, and I'm not gonna say it. So. I did too, and I'm not gonna say it. Either. <laughs> no. <laughs> then you thought the same goddamn thing. <laughs> See, it's funny because immediately as you guys were saying that, I started laughing. (laughs) I think that's why it's fun when we do these solo shows occasionally, because people can just see how, you know, connected we all are. Like, we all think on the same same wavelength. Yeah, which could also be people can see how fucking crazy we all are. (laughs) Well, that's that's why the listeners tune in. <laughs> They're like, let's check out this shit show. <laughs> yeah, is that why you guys turn in, uh, tune in, Daryl? Uh, <laughs> Who's Darren? Uh, I was gonna say Daryl, Daryl, and Daryl. Oh, that's our three. I, I thought he was gonna bring back Darren. <laughs> Darren. Yeah. Hey, shout out to my buddy Darren, man. If you're listening, I used your name erroneously earlier. Thank you for that. <laughs> Are we just going to title this one Shit Show? <laughs> you know what? That would be great. Shit Show is perfect. The first, <laughs> first squeak beef. Squeak All the, the funny thing is, is, would this be considered the first annual Shit Show? Or how, how would that be? <laughs> um. I don't know. I have to go back and do math when we're not. Yeah. I don't know. I kind of. I don't. I don't feel good about the word annual combined with shit show. <laughs> you you misspell that word and it just gets nasty. You know, it's a good thing we don't try and monetize this podcast because right. it's not working. <laughs> All our sponsors dropped us last night again. <laughs> Like it's funny, you'll hear people on YouTube be like, "Well, it was demonetized because we had one f word." Oh God, that sounds dangerous. Uh, yeah, and, uh, <laughs> I I always feel bad. People say, "Don't use the f word," and I say, "Okay, yes, sir, Scout's Honor," and I'm almost always the first person in the recording that uses it. <laughs> and the the one time it wasn't me who used it first, uh, it was a keen. So. <laughs> because <laughs> Brian did it first <laughs> again though I said motherfucker on Monster Man and didn't even know I did it like no. it just wasn't, like, it didn't even blip my radar until I fucking told you yeah I was like did I really really where <laughs> and of course I did memorize where so I could tell her exactly <laughs> okay, I'm, I'm really sorry Jack thank you <laughs> Uh, yeah, Jack has now said "motherfucker" on his own podcast. I except he that. said, "Yeah, that was awesome." <laughs> that that was awesome. <laughs> those are they're good guys. Those guys over at uh, Monster Men slash Final Guys. Uh, 
Final Guys has another dude, too. I forget his name. <laughs> He's going to kill you. <laughs> uh, the the amazing Jason Brandt is also part of that team, and they do rock. Yes. Yeah. I listen every week. Um, one of those shows was even kind enough to um, let Laurel come on. Oh, yeah, that was nice. Yeah. <laughs> Which, yeah, and... Uh, Spoiler alert, Shane and myself uh, were asked to go on there. Crossover. Yeah. Is it going to be one of the that, ones where, where they come across to solve a crime on your show, and then you go across to finish solving the crime on their show? Oh, yeah, except for it will be committing. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the only thing was, because I know Hunter was like, well, you know, we do do like video. I'm thinking to myself, how am I going to frame like my video because of where I record? <laughs> like, may I suggest a giant bikini poster behind you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, You'd fit in. <laughs> hey, you know what? I have, I got for Christmas like these giant cri- Camp Crystal Lake. <laughs> wood cutouts maybe i'll just hang one of those on the door how do you not already have one on the door i mean hung up uh because they're huge i don't even i don't know because i'm lazy i just stuck them in here. Say, that's a good <laughs> be honest i tossed them in here and forgot about them yeah <laughs> <laughs> they are pretty cool though i have two of them i thought about auctioning one of them off for ink heist, not yeah. just to like raise money, just to like, because <laughs> they're both the same. So, I so don't you can really afford something other wrong. than IPA to drink, or <laughs> yeah, no, it would be for free. So I messaged Josh Mailerman before we started to see if he wanted to chat about some stuff we were doing, and um, I said, "What are you doing?" He said, "Not much." What do you want? And I said, "You want to chat with us on Skype?" And he ran away. <laughs> So, no. <laughs> we will be talking to him very soon, though. So. We hope. Yeah, yeah, we will. Right, Josh? <laughs> <laughs> so, where do we go from here, kids? Um, do you like hats? <laughs> You know it's funny we had a we had a nice like serious discussion going but then we got so far off tangent I can't even remember what we were talking about. Well, I this I don't know if this is a silly idea or not, but I I got this when you know when Shane and you were mentioning like we were talking about uh you know just getting better ideas and and access to different stuff I guess, you know, and and I feel like a lot of that has been because of just immersion you know, in the community and, and the way we were talking, I think probably before we came on air about, you know, the more you read and the more you write, the better you get at all of it. Um, so I've, it's just been in my head a lot lately. Like I've been thinking about the different things that I've learned from just individual members of the community. So I didn't know if you all wanted to kind of talk about some of that or, or just cut this part out of the episode altogether. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, that's cool. It's just kind of like a very, like, I've learned so much. Yeah. Go ahead, Shane. I was just going to say, can you repeat, like, the last five seconds of that? I was, uh, I got uh, distracted by having to answer a question. 
I think the last five seconds consisted of me saying, or we can cut this from the episode. Well, I caught that part. How about the part before that? <laughs> uh, just, it, you know, if we want to talk about anything in particular that we had learned from members of the community or from, you know, from horror writers that we've read or spoken to or been inspired by. Okay. Okay. Sorry. I, I'm sorry to break that flow. I just got lost. Um, and this time Laurel knew what you were talking about, so I could ask her. <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> Laurel knew what she was talking about? That yeah. makes that doesn't actually I would hope so. Happen. No, yeah. that's not a consistent. It's actually not. It's not. No, she she didn't. Uh, she confirmed for me last night. She did not know what we were talking about. So, <laughs> uh, but in our defense, nobody on that fucking podcast knew what they were talking about. So, which is what was fun about it. <laughs> I know. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. We had a blast. Um, no, I agree though. That part of what you said about the immersion. Um, in the community, um, I think that's made a huge difference, you know, just in, and what I've learned more than anything from that is just, um, courage, if that makes any sense. It does. Yeah. yeah. Because I've always been terrified. I've never, obviously I'm 55 years old and this is the first time since I was like 15 that anyone has ever seen my poetry other than a wife. So, go, go ahead, ahead, Rich. No, I was just gonna say, yeah, um, like what Shane said, that's the biggest takeaway I've had was the courage thing, and because I I never like hearing some of the authors we've had on talk about you know their journey and you know things that they have done. I never I never would have like I've submitted my stories a couple couple years ago i never would have done that i would have been mortified to even let anybody you know see what i had written so you know hearing hearing that it gave me a lot of courage to put my stuff out there and let other people read it like even sending it to like you and shane like at first i was like i i don't know that i should send it to them like i was trying to get other people to read it that maybe i wasn't as close to because i was like well if this is terrible i'm gonna be fucking embarrassed <laughs> but, <laughs> but you know i was like you know at and that's the other thing like the other thing was hearing them talk about you know revisions and stuff because i've said a couple times on the show before i got involved in the community and really knew about writing like you see the finished product and that's it. You don't really see or know about, you know, all the steps that writer went through to get to that final product. So I always looked at my own stuff and was like, well, this sucks. But, you know, I didn't really know that you could, you know, just put this stuff down and then mold that idea into, you know, something great after. Like, I just always took it for granted. Like, I had the finished book in my hand, and I didn't really think about everything that went into it. Yeah, and how much, you know, just even if you're working on the same book for just a stretch of time, you grow as a writer. So, you know, the changes that you're able to make to it uh, in from revision one to revision two can make a huge difference. 
And you're right. I think that's important looking at, well, I mean, it's, you know, if you look at really early Stephen King, even like Carrie, there's no way that that's a bad novel. It's not. It's excellent. But when you compare it to just the depth and complexity of some of the things he writes later, you can see the progression. Absolutely. It's a lot, a lot more one dimensional of a novel than like Duma Key or something like that is. Duma Key. That's that. I feel like that is an underloved. I love Duma Key. Yeah. And also, since uh, since you guys brought up Stephen King, I've been seeing a lot of, you know, oh, what are your favorite 10 Stephen King books or what have you? And, you know, everyone's entitled to their personal opinion. But I'll I'll go on record as saying I'm very pissed off and saddened that I've not seen Joyland mentions in there because that book is amazing. Max Max Stark mentioned it. I forgot to tell you that. Okay, yeah, because I'm seeing all these lists. I'm like, where the fuck is Joyland? Nobody likes that book. <laughs> <laughs> well, you didn't do a list, Rich. Yeah. Oh, God. Do the list. Put it where out the, there. Where the fuck is Joyland, Rich? Yeah, bitch. <laughs> It'd be pretty up there. And, you know, kind of this is going way off tangent, but, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, everything he's written lately, you know, past like the 80s is straight trash. Personally, I think he's written a ton of great books recently, and most of them you couldn't eat like they're horror sort of, but they're not straight horror what he's really known for. Like some of my favorite King books, especially from the modern era is like Joylander, you know, 11, 63. Yes. I love that book. Bag of bones is one of my favorites. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Bag of bones uh, is good. Lots of people hate that book, but I personally um, hold it in high esteem. People just didn't appreciate what he did there because it was so different. It was, and the subtlety of the of the haunting in that was just yeah. chilling. It was chilling. It was. It reminded me a lot of Straub, really. Mm, yeah, that's a good comparison. But uh, I, oh, fuck, I forgot what I was going to say. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll, I'll say one thing that had never occurred to me um, that, that I've had two different writers that I admire mention that they've done that has sort of, you know, helped train them up some um, is uh, fan fiction writing. Um, and that just, it just never struck me as something, you know, it, it's, it's never something that I had done. Um, and I hadn't thought a whole lot about, but I remember Caitlin Starling mentioning that that was kind of a way that she had honed her writing. And, you know, we're all three in, in pretty solid agreement about uh, the luminous dead. Um, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, so I, I thought that was interesting. And the other writer that I've heard talk about that is S.H. Cooper. Um, I don't know how much of hers was fan fiction and how much she has put a lot of stuff on Reddit. But it's just, I mean, it's this ability to just fire out these. Uh, Cooper has just tons of short stories out there. And she can just fire one out in no time. And they're all so different. And they're also just like beautifully crafted. So I think that's such an interesting facet and interesting sort of. And it kind of reminded me of your, you know, current boot camp project, Shane, where it's just, <laughs> <laughs> you know, you have you have kind of the subject matter there, but you're you're under this deadline to just throw things out there. And it's just really honing everything. Um, yeah. And it's definitely that exposure, again, to your point there has drastically, drastically improved me. And I wouldn't I wouldn't trade it for the world now. Um, there have been times it stressed me the fuck out, but for the most part, it's just been sheer 
sheer pleasure for me. And like you said, boot camp, it's a, it's a training process and it's a really fucking intense one, you know? Um, but it's, you know, same thing, lessons learned from other authors, you know, um, a lot of the stuff I've learned, I've learned from observation because that's a lot of what poetry is. Um, but I've learned more of it from fiction writers than from poets, if that makes any sense. Hmm. From so from absorbing fiction writers. Yeah, so absorb like, absorbing them, absorbing the words they use that I'm not familiar with, absorbing the way they use the words. You know, I mean, like if you were to lay a Kath Koja novel out in the format that I format most of my poems, you wouldn't know it wasn't a poem. I believe yeah. that just from just from the stuff that you've quoted to me. That's yeah. Yeah. I believe that. And those authors have always owned me as far as that goes. That eloquence, um, I envy that eloquence, and it's always been one of the things I've what um, longed after. You know what I mean? So I store up uh, store up words like some squirrels so store up, you know, <laughs> nuts or whatever. <laughs> Well, Nicholas Day did that in um, Grind Your Bones to Dust. It's one of those like that in reading it, I had to just kind of set it aside sometimes and think like, okay, so does he think in this pro, you know, this almost poetic fashion all the time or how much? I, I just I don't know. That seems like so much more intensive. Yeah, I wonder about that, too. With him, he, he's a damn good example. Him and Koja, even even Josh, it's almost scary to think that he might think the way he is. <laughs> you, know? <laughs> you know, with him, I can I can sort of see it though. In particular, yeah. with Carpenter's Farm, oh, the yeah. way that he describes, yeah. you know, it's so instant, it's so in the moment, and it's so those descriptions of feelings, you know, that he's just gets really on the point with. Oh uh, yeah. Totally. Um, he uh, amazes me with every outing, you know, I haven't. But I honestly think I'm in line with Skip on Carpenter's Farm and that uh, John Skip said it was his crowning achievement. And I'm pretty close to in line with that, except for my Unbury Carol love is telling me to shut up about that. <laughs> <laughs> that is a damn good novel. Yeah, but yeah, that's the thing is like Koja and Nicholas Day and those people. It's like, do you really think that way? Because it's fascinating. It is. Yeah. You know, and it's like, I don't know if I can bring that same approach to fiction, you know, like poets do to their poetry. You know, um, for one thing, I don't I've never felt the thing I've never learned with fiction is follow through. Ask Rich. <laughs> well, that was kind of funny when they asked us about our collaboration and you're right. like, uh, it's growing a lot of dust on it. Yeah. <laughs> it's become a science experiment. <laughs> <sighs> but no, you know what? And too, I don't know if I ever mentioned this to you, Shane, but how you were kind of talking about bringing like poetry to, you know, fiction writing and like, straight up prose writing um you i haven't read it i always had it but it was kind of like house of leaves and you might see where i'm going with this by mark uh 
Danielewski, House of Leaves is written in a very like strange format. And I did read that and it took a long time, but he has another book that might be of interest to you called uh, Only Revolutions. And he basically wrote it. It's like one paperback book, but you read like one set of poems, you know, the whole way through. And then you can flip the book over and it's like a corresponding book of poems. I, I never worked my way through it, but kind of seeing where you were talking about bringing like that mentality of like poetry to prose, that might be a book you might want to check out. Um, yeah, definitely. Definitely. That's an interesting idea to, to kind of do a call and response with your own fucking poetry. Yeah. And it was, it was interesting because like house of leaves, you know, for all of the like formatting changes and, you know, the way he kind of screws around with that it is a straight up prose novel, but only revolutions is pretty much like it tells a story almost like he wrote it as a novel, like a prose novel, but it's all pretty much kind of like poetry and there's two characters. So like you'll read, I don't even know cause it's kind of set up like house of leaves and it has like screwy formatting, but there's guides out there, but there's two characters and some of the poetry, like when you read it from one direction is one of the characters and then you'll flip it over. And then it's the other character kind of responding to the same stuff. Huh? That's yeah. I find that fascinating. Really. I'll have to look that up. What was it called again? Uh, only revolutions. Okay. Okay. I'm going to write that down. Yeah. That sounds like a lot of work. So, <laughs> <Yeah>. Moral. <laughs> yeah. If you were if if you were to name your number one influence, inspiration and in writing, and it doesn't have to be a writer, it can be any creator or any person really, who would you who would you name? Oh, that's a that's a good question. Yeah. <laughs> I'm surprised we didn't ask this the first time we had her on. Right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I may have, but you know she'll have a different fucking answer now. Yeah. <laughs> None of us would remember. Yeah. Um, I guess if I had to say one person, it might be Shirley Jackson, and uh, that that sounds like a really, I guess, kind of cliche answer, but it is because when I read The Haunting of Hill House, um, you know, as as all of us did, we watched a lot of horror movies, read a lot of horror, and in my opinion, it is very hard to like actively scare someone in writing. And uh, the haunting of Hill house, the scene where, you know, she's stopped squeezing my hand so tight, you know, I'm not that like that beat that end of the chapter just scared the hell out of me. Uh, me too. And you just said that and I just got right. Goosebumps <laughs> on my back. <laughs> yeah. I will say that is my one disappointment with the Netflix series, which I loved. But I felt like they really just pulled the punch on that. They sucked all of the the impact out of that line, in my opinion. Uh, they really did. They really yeah. did. It didn't do that where, you know, the small hairs on the back of your neck rose up and, you know, like the book did. So yeah. it totally, totally lost any power it had there. Yeah. But but in, in that book, and I've, I think, you know, it's like I, I said it, I always read super fast as a kid because I don't have anything else to do, you know. Not like being an adult where you have responsibilities, but I actually like just set that aside to think about it. But and and it was one of those things when I did start writing horror, I was like, I want to be able to do that. 
I want to write the scene that makes somebody go, oh, you know, I got to set this aside for a minute. Oh, you've done that several times. (laughs) Awesome. (laughs) (laughs) What about you, Rich? Uh, As far as inspiration for my writing, it's kind of weird in that a lot of the stuff I read, I guess you would describe as more quote unquote literary horror. But like I've injected kind of a lot of crazy ass like pulp style stuff in there, like just complete craziness like you'd see in a horror movie. And I think a lot of that comes from and it's going to sound like total ass kissing, but a lot of that stuff comes from Hunter, Hunter Shea, um, because he was one of the first indie writers I had found and like. He's into a lot of the same stuff like cryptids. I was a big cryptid person growing up. And uh, but the thing I'm working on now, the I don't want to get too much into it, but the vanishing story, as you guys know it, um, that I've always been impressed by John's work, the way he's able to uh, John F.D. Taff. Where he's able um, to rip your heart out and feed it to you. <laughs> yeah. And he. <laughs> He's able to kind of, you know, take like his stuff is very visceral, like like you said, rip your heart out and feed it to you. But like even in some of his more quieter stories, like there's that sense of, you know, something very creepy and wrong. And then but like it has that like emotional gut punch to it. And with the vanishing story, which is like my first attempt at doing something longer, you know, I don't want to, you know, rip off his style, but as far as inspiration goes, like that's the kind of feeling that I'm trying to go for there is, you know, have some of that crazy stuff, but it's not, you know, just straight up about the crazy situation. Yeah. So it's not just like straight splatter punk, more of a. Yeah. Kind of like, yeah, kind of like a mixture of both, which. Almost kind of like some of his uh, newer stuff, because like how I think you and I have discussed it, you know, lately he's been he's had that same emotional core, but he's kind of gone for like a a way more like in your face sort of brutal feel than some of his earlier stuff. And that's kind of the thing I'm shooting for there is taking some of that, you know, pulp craziness, but, you know, mixing it with some of that quieter, more emotional stuff. Yeah, John has really evolved as a writer from when I read Little Deaths was a beautiful short story collection. Um, Don't get me wrong, but the guy who wrote Little Deaths is is a different writer than the writer who wrote his most recent collection, which the title is escaping me. Um, oh, the little black spots. Yeah, yeah. Because you, mm-hmm. you you would have never seen a story like Purple Soda Hand in in Little Deaths because he wasn't that writer yet. He hadn't gotten to that level of total, totally, totally embracing brutality like that when he puts his mind to it. Oh yeah, or um, like even the story that he wrote for our site little plug there love tap um (laughs) like like when we first read that like i i think that might have been the first story that i've read i mean like we read little black spots uh before that and like you said purple soda hand 
but you know there he always had like one or two stories but it was kind of like when we read love tap that was like the first one where i sort of really noticed that shift kind of that more brutal style because you had that and then um his story in um lullabies for suffering yeah and then you and then like some of the stuff you saw in the fearing like he started he kept you know that emotional core that he became known for but some of that horror stuff like he really he really upped the ante into like like to like almost like a splatterpunk level um yeah he does sometimes now and that's a that's a mm-hmm it's refreshing because he hasn't what I think, you know, that his signature ability to, to break a heart. I, that's, that's just John's voice at work right there. That's yeah. just the way his mind um, creates scenes and scenarios, you know? Um, but yeah, as far as how he presents that now, he's yeah much evolved and we all are no matter what yeah. level we're at. You know? Which uh, have you have you guys read that story that he has in uh, Lullabies for Suffering? I think it's yes. called The Melting Point of Meat. Yes, and that is what it's called. I have not read it yet. No. Oh man, Laurel, that thing is. Whew. I just love the title. <laughs> yeah. The melting Point of Meat. He's a master with titles like Love yeah. Tap. Yeah, how, Love how... Love Tap was his. Yeah. How genius is that title? That's incredibly (laughs) genius. And uh, how about you, Shane? What about me? Like, uh, where do you find your inspiration, whether it be for prose or poetry? Like, do you have the same kind of inspiration for both, or do you have, like, inspirations for your prose and then inspirations for your poetry? They kind of cross over, really, because, I mean, you can take, you can take the eloquence of a great poet like Sylvia Plath, who is my primary inspiration when it comes to poetry, if you're talking poets, um, and you can apply that same eloquence as as the aforementioned Koja does so well to your prose. You know, so I kind of take inspiration from both, but I take inspiration from all over. I also take inspiration from songwriters like Rob Zombie and early Metallica and... You know, um, a lot of lot of metal stuff. So it's kind of a mishmash of different types of artists that I that I gain inspiration from. Um, Stephen Graham Jones is probably the most inspirational writer working right now for me. Oh wow! Yeah, yeah. yeah. And you know, it's kind of interesting you mention that because I'm kind of the same way in that. Like, I think I mentioned this kind of to Laurel, um, you know, aside from just writers, like some of the stuff that I hope to incorporate in the stuff that I work on, you know, like I'll I'll take snippets of like certain kind of films and not even necessarily horror films, but, you know, maybe like an indie drama or even rom-coms, which I've made no... Uh, no qualms about mentioning that on other shows, like taking elements of that and working it in. Um, so I can relate to that. Like it's not necessarily always writers that you find that inspiration from. And I don't think we've ever asked Laurel, like when you, when you write your fiction, is it always, 
you know, like maybe influence or something? Is it always just writers or do you also kind of take from, you know, other sorts of art? Uh, I mean, I think probably there's some musical element to it because a lot of times I, I tend to always start with characters, um, yeah. you know, that I build and, and sort of form a relationship with and then insert them into a scenario. But it, a lot of times it's a mood that I'm trying to capture. It's, it's an, it's an emotion. It's a, you know, something like that. So, and, and it is funny. It's like, <laughs> having a kid now, one of the biggest things that I looked forward to about being a mother, but, but that's interesting now is, is helping them process the world as it comes to them. And like watching my son as he's listening to, this sounds goofy, but we were listening, we were dancing to girls just want to have fun. And then uh, time after time came on and there was a little video to it. And Sebastian watched it and he got very sad because it was, you know, it's a sad song. And so I was yeah. trying to have yeah. a conversation with him about, you know, evocative art and things like that. And, and it was just, I don't, sorry, I don't know why I went off on that tangent, except that it's, um, it's kind of one of those things like uh, I have music that I listen to when I'm trying to evoke that kind of a mood in my writing. Um, so, yeah, and definitely art. Absolutely. Uh, visual art. I, I love paintings, love them. And I've got a lot of a lot of stuff in my house for that. Um, yeah, I'm very inspired by visual yeah. art, too, um, and sometimes even use it for a prompt to get my brain spinning, you know. Or, you know, like for practicing fiction, something I used to do is called was called what if pumpkin what what if pumpkin head showed up right now? <laughs> <laughs> so you sit there and That's you watch cool. a watch a normal drama or you know, action adventure or something like that and right at the moment, you know, the dude looks like he's about to win, you say, What what if pumpkin head showed up right now? And <laughs> everything would get more interesting, obviously. And, yep, and then you write that scene. <laughs> I love that. That sounds like a like a yeah. like a Halloween party game. Yeah, I think it's why I can only write like one scene before I give up on a story and move on to something else. <laughs> like I did my part, <laughs> and Pumpkinhead never fucking showed up. So. <laughs> you know what? It, go ahead, Laura. No, go ahead, Rich. I was just gonna say. Um, the cool thing about doing this solo episode is I never thought to, you know, even ask that question to some of the writers that we've had on the show, you know, if they, if they pull from other types of art other than, you know, writers for their work. And then there are actors. Laurel's heavily inspired by Sergeant <laughs> Dan. Um, dude's hot i don't care what you say mac taylor mm -hmm. yeah uh i can't say anything man i don't i don't know i thought i think he's an ugly fucker but to eat yeah. uh, we can all agree on bruce campbell quarantine bruce campbell's hot absolutely yep and uh um i don't remember who mine is anymore no, I'm Mr. kidding. Standard Bullock, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um, and I'm not ashamed of that. I will never be ashamed of that. <laughs> no reason to be ashamed. And Rich at Riches is Pee Wee Herman, so there's that. You yeah. son of a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> you profane Mr. Rogers motherfucker. 
you admit it, you have all his videos. Mm-mm. <laughs> no, I, I, I'm not going to admit it. No, when, when we were discussing celebrity crushes when we were a guest on Deadhead Reviews, no it was like two seconds. Yeah, don't I, say I'm, what don't don't say what yours is because I don't want Patrick to feel like I just scooped him. <laughs> no, I I won't. But I will say when people hear it, there is no hesitation. I yeah. fired it right Very out true. there. <laughs> Very true. It's I clearly think, already yeah. thought out. Yeah, I did too, pretty much. I think. But my celebrity crushes change all the time. You know, I fucking love Sherry Moon. You know, so. <laughs> if, if her if her and Sandra Bullock walked into the room at the same time, I would just fucking die because I'd try to go in two directions at the same time. So maybe they would sit next to each other. <laughs> right. You could just yeah. sidle up between them. Now they'd sit next to each other, so I couldn't. <laughs> <laughs> what a fucking strange conversation to be having. <laughs> All you <Often>. bibliophiles. <laughs> How often do we get to talk about our celebrity crushes anyway? Yeah, not not often, really. And usually if we're talking about them, it's something really lewd that we can't fucking say on here. So. <laughs> uh, I take it you guys uh, figured out that I lost my connection. Oh, no. <laughs> we didn't miss you, man. <laughs> just, we, we thought you were just abstaining from the conversation. No, no, I heard Shane say something about, oh, if we talk about them, it's usually pretty lewd. So I'm like, oh, that motherfucker is making it. Nope, lost him again. Lost him again. Yep. <laughs> nope, it wasn't Rich, though. No. Rich. Rich. <laughs> Laurel. I'm here. Okay. <laughs> I was waiting for Rich in case he did come back. I'm getting all fucking paranoid. Oh, my God. Am I alone in here? <laughs> You've always been alone, Shane. Well, I, this, I, wanna, I wanted to come back to this before I forget about it, because when you were talking about uh, Taff and, you know, the particular voice that he brings to it, I don't know. It just it, that kind of made me kind of come full circle with talking about um, some of the poetry uh, and the poetic aspects. I hear Rich again. You OK, man? Yeah, I'm okay. I, okay my, phone, my, my phone keeps cutting out. Like, I'm sitting there trying to make a joke and boss on Shane, and it kicked me right off. Probably because my jokes are terrible. <laughs> we'll uh, never George, know. Unless, George, George wanna... has got my back. <laughs> he probably does. I'm scared <laughs> to go to sleep tonight. <laughs> I don't think he'll go that far. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> if George were going to get you, he'd get you right where you're at, man. <laughs> Closet. You don't even have it. No exit, <laughs> motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> no, we were talking about actually celebrity crushes when I said that we usually had something lewd to say about them. Uh, Not that it wasn't gotcha. you. It wasn't you. So. Uh, we usually have something lewd to say about you, too, but that's not who we <laughs> When I came back in, I just said, oh, yeah, I just heard, oh, yeah, we usually say something lewd. I'm like, that motherfucker is making fun of me because I got kicked. <laughs> Did you? Are you there? Did you get kicked again? Uh, let's make fun of him some more. No, no I'm, <laughs> I'm here. <laughs> okay, because it stopped again. It's like every time yeah. you say you get kicked off, like you're gone. So maybe yeah. that phrase is some kind of a trigger yeah. for George. Yeah. Probably. I'll I'll refrain from saying that. Saying what? 
<laughs> so I just want to see if it happened again because then no, I'm hanging up. No, I'm, I'm wise to you. But no, now I stepped all over Laurel's question. It sounded like she was asking you something. I was probably just pontificating, honestly. <laughs> I don't know how we even got around. Yeah, Laurel was saying something important. Yeah, and then she, was saying something, asked, she was saying something about bringing it full circle. Oh, just about oh, just about voice. Yeah. Um, it, it just made me think when you were talking about Taff and like his particular voice, you know, the voice that he brings to it. You know, and Rich was saying he, he didn't want to rip off the the style, but that he wanted to evoke the same things. And it just, I don't know, it's maybe a trite observation. It made me think it's like when I worry, I guess, about whether I can ever write as well as, you know, X, Y, Z person or, or have that kind of poetry or prose. It's, it's more about bringing your individual voice to it. Yeah. That's, that's a worry of mine too. Um, Is that, is this my voice or is this, Sylvia Plath or Robert Frost's voice or someone like that, you know? So. Well, and, and also just the importance, too, of just letting it. And I I don't know. I guess the valuation of the voice that you bring to it, whether. Right. You know, whether whether we can ever match the styles that we emulate or not. Right. That And that's, yeah, I, I said that very poorly, but it's like you want to emulate your heroes but you don't want to be your heroes yeah and for for me at least um i the way i look at it is like you said you want to emulate them and not you know copy them per se but i think that you know just taking that feeling that you want to you want to grab from them just filtering it through your own writing like even if you're not conscious of it you know you might be going for that same feeling yeah kind of like psychological mood lighting yeah like just love that term (laughs) yeah that that is a good term he nailed it but yeah you're like even if you wanted to you know start out even if you were copying them you know, just the fact that you were trying to copy them, I feel like some of yourself would mix into it anyway. And it wouldn't necessarily be a straight up copy, like unless you straight up plagiarize their work. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I like, yeah, that's a good point. Um, you, le- I think your own voice is going to leak into anything you do, even if you are trying to sound exactly like someone, you know, yeah. I mean, it's kind of like uh, Paul Kane can write a badass fucking Hellraiser story, but he writes it in his voice, you know. So yeah. I mean, you can tell that's that it's it's a good writer writing it that isn't actually Clive Barker. So you know. Hello. Yeah, we're here. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> God damn it! They keep leaving me all alone. <laughs> no, no, it's just funny because yeah, like I I agree with you. Um, because I would never try and like copy somebody, but like I said, I feel like even if you did, even if you set out to like short of like writing word for word what another author did, I feel like even if you tried to copy them a hundred percent, like you might get flashes of it where someone's like, Oh, it's derivative, but I still think it would kind of morph into its own thing. 
and maybe that's just me. Maybe some people will be like, no, you're, you're a fucking idiot. <laughs> like it, it, it would come off as totally derivative, I but I feel like no how... matter. Yeah, go, go ahead. Sorry, Rich. Oh no, I was, no, nah, I didn't have anything else to add. I was just <laughs> rambling. No, I, I feel like maybe whether we intend to or not anyways, we probably all start out that way. Yeah. Uh, you know, because yeah. in some ways you're you're writing what you wanted to read, which maybe is just more of a writer who's not around anymore um, or a story you wish they tackled. Yeah, or that could just be me because I love ghosts and everything. And it always seemed like there were never enough ghosts. And that's exactly <laughs> right, though, Laurel. Um, yeah. What they that is, you know, basically writing what, what or writing what you want to read when you write what you wish they had wrote. So. You know, that makes a lot of sense to me now that you say that. And uh, just real quick to kind of bring it back to an earlier point, because I forgot to mention it because I had to step away for a minute. But uh, when you guys were talking about like fan fiction and stuff like that, another cool thing that uh, a lot some writers got their start in was like the whole creepypasta Reddit thing. Um, I think. I hope I pronounce his name correctly, but Dathan Auerbach. Oh when yeah. He, when he did uh, Pen Pal, he that pretty much was a creepy pasta on Reddit, and then he kind of like retweaked it into a novel. But there, the and that's kind of another cool thing is like you know he's a different kind of example because he started out on there and then he had a. You know, he had gotten a book deal based off of Pen Pal, and he ended up writing the, uh, you know, underrated, was it Bad, bad, bad Man? Yeah, Bad Man. Um, yeah. Yes. Criminally underrated, I think. But, you know, if yeah. everybody has their opinion and they're entitled to it. Yeah. Not- when it's fucking wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, personally, I, I thought that was great. I did not see that coming. I fucking love that book. Yeah. Um, you know, even taking Dathan out of it, you know, people who've kind of taken creepypasta and gotten book deals. I've always been intrigued by people who, you know, they've written creepypastas and these things were highly engaging. Like I was riveted. I read through all the parts, but you don't really see like anything else they had done like they might have written that one story and it was fucking great but they didn't write like a book or you know get a book deal off of it and i always thought that that was i always thought that that was really interesting that you know there's people out there who for one reason or another they decided to write this creepypasta and maybe they thought like they weren't a real writer, but they were really good. But that was the only thing you ever read from them. Yeah. It's like David Wellington wrote several books in serial format, like Carpenter's farm on his website. And then a publisher picked them all up and published them. Yeah. Or, uh, he was just doing it for the people who were there reading and he and he'd post a chapter and he'd ask them what 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 should come next so it was oh, kind yeah. of cool yeah 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 or even uh i think i mentioned it on another podcast but I, i'm pretty sure the book is called like apocalypse z um it was written by i want to say i'm going to butcher his name and i apologize 
Um, but I believe his name was Manuel uh, Loero or something like that. But uh, he basically wrote like a blog and called it Apocalypse Z. And it was like a zombie story, but it wasn't, you know, derivative or anything. It was kind of written like blog entries and it wasn't what you would expect. Like these people who all of a sudden are experts at surviving the apocalypse. Like this guy was fucking up left and right. And he kind of just locked into survival. But I've always been interested in that, you know, kind of around the time that, you know, the internet came about and like the way people use that to kind of play with traditional narrative for. Yeah. Also, I'm glad to know that that's a, that's an apocalypse story because that would be, if I survived an apocalypse, that's how it would be by total accident. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah, me too. Yeah, same. Because it's funny, uh, a lot of those books you read them and they might start off that way, but then over time, you know, that character turns into like the old badass. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, because it's like with me, it's like I'd be that dude who survived the apocalypse because he was sleeping off a drunk in the back of his truck. <laughs> <Yeah. you know>? <laughs> <laughs> Shane wakes up after like a two day bender. <laughs> He's just like, where is everybody? Oh, where did everybody go? <laughs> God, I, I'm going to have to bail soon, guys. I got to go cook. No, that's all good, man. I think we pretty much tackled everything. We're pretty much just bullshitting. Yeah. Um, It's been fun, though. Yeah. Yeah. It was cool. All right, right, you guys. Have a a good dinner. Okay. Okay. Uh, Take care, you two. Um, I'll talk to you on Discord. All right. Sounds (laughs) good. Sounds good. good. See ya. See ya. Have a good night, guys. You too, Laurel. Is somebody going to hang the fucking thing? (laughs) 